he is. You just tuned in to Mocha Speaks. It's time for real conversation. So you come so far in again. We not boost no war, still we not beg no friend. If you lick a shot, then shot with your sins. I'm a chat about them, but still we better than them. Just like when we roll a little bling, when we crush in our pants, I could see and stim. Nah, play with me, you know what the problem. And uh, this is all what we tell them. We tell them. Yeah, you will see we bad. Yeah, you will see we bad. We have said the whole city lag. The flows we up. And the style of we rock. You know I said the whole of the mad. You know I said we bad. I say you know I said we bad. We have said the whole city lag. The flows we up. And the style of we rock. You know I said the whole of the mad. What's up, what's up? This is your girl Mocha Jasmine Johnson and I'm excited today because I'm interviewing a new reggae artist by the name of Foreign, aka Ricky Brockshot. Y'all got yo! So Ricky Brockshot, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you originally from? Well, I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, my um, grandfather, it was said that my grandfather is from Clarendon, the Clarendon Parish. But uh, I was born and raised in Cincinnati. So um, that's where I um, first got into music altogether. Uh, my father, Richard Kennedy, he uh, was a singer. Um, so okay. music, it just it just ran in the family. All right, so what kind of music did your father sing? Because I know you like, you, you went back a couple of generations. Right. And you picked up the, the reggae culture right. and brought it into the modern right. day. Now your father, was he, um, did he do reggae or what kind no, of music my, did he do? my dad, he did like uh, shoe wop. I guess that's what they would call it. You know, back in the days when they would stand out on the corners and do the harmonizing. But the, the strange thing about that is that if you go back and you listen to a lot of old reggae songs, they do the same exact thing. It's just a different rhythm. All right. So shoo up. Yeah. All shoo right. up. Do up. Oh. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. So. Yeah, he had a song. It's, um, actually, it's on YouTube. Uh, it's called, uh, it's, it's the, the group was The Students, and um, it, 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 the song is uh, We're So Young. Okay. So young, I think something like that. But it's it's the students, yeah. They went all the way to the Apollo. And, oh what? You know, it's just that you know at that time when he was getting ready to sign, I think he was like thirteen, um, and coming from a a a, a poor background, um, instead of going out to venture on the music side of things, his mother felt like it was best that he stayed home, helped the family, yeah. do chores. You know That's those things that back we, in right, the days. from yeah, back in yeah, the day. Yeah. That was their mindset. You right. know, music to them was fun and it was right. games. And career. Right. They didn't really see the potential of the music back then and mm-hmm. so that was one of the the only things that, that basically held them back. I mean that's a part of it today too. A lot yeah. of parents, you know, I would say, um, I guess are more accustomed to the music industry, but it's not a career that, you know, you would tell your child per se, like, go after it because you know it's 
it's a tough role. Right, right. You and, know what I mean? And a lot of people don't 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 really see it as being obtainable. You know, yeah, they yeah, see it yeah. as a waste of time, a waste of money. And you know, coming from people that don't have money, right. wasting something that you don't have, it makes no sense. Right. You know. So. So how old were you when you got bit by the music bug? I Man, I was about. Say I was about 14, about 13, 14. Okay. Um, I was, what happened was, you know, um, I was in middle school, seventh grade. Um, I remember being dropped off on a bus. I got chartered to school because my parents, you know, they, they understood the, the, the education system. But they also understood how the inner city education was and the education where there were more Caucasians. They understood there was a huge difference in the curriculum, shall we say, right. and um, the amount of books and, you know, and so right. forth and so on. So um, they felt like um, they wanted to charter me outside of my, you know, initial neighborhood to get a better education. And um, we just happened to, they, they let you off in the bus in the morning, you know how you're getting ready to, you can either go eat lunch or you can go outside and have recess mm -hmm. or whatever. So, you know, I typically had breakfast at home, so I went and had recess, and um, just so happened to walk into what I know now, what we know now is a cipher. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a couple dudes that was that was that was beatboxing, and it was a couple dudes that was rapping, and I heard them rapping, and you know, and, and, and these dudes, they, I mean, they could go with the best of them, mm -hmm. but after a while, I realized like. These dudes, I had never heard these songs before. Right. I'm like, I never heard these lyrics. These dudes cold. Where are these lyrics coming from? And then it dawned on me. These dudes was rapping. Right. <laughs> they was doing it themselves. They was they were they were they were doing written material and, and, and memorized material. And from that that point on, there was no turning back for me. I mean, I, I don't know what it didn't matter what type of music that I was gonna be in, mm -hmm. but it, it it was music, and it was more particularly songwriting because to hear these guys do this, and like I said, they couldn't have been no older than fifteen years old. Mm -hmm. And these guys is out here spitting, and we like talking about the. Um, the KRS-One era. Right, right. We're talking about the uh, uh, Trap Called Quest era, you know. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about early, you know, uh, uh, Africa Bambada and Zulu uh -huh. Nation, you know. And, and these cats is just like, they, they spitting it. And I'm, I'm, I'm mesmerized. So from that day, after that day, I remember that day like it was yesterday. It was almost as if I couldn't think of anything else. You got bit by the bug. I could not. I mean, I was in class. I don't know what happened that day. I'm <laughs> telling you right now. If that day would have determined whether I passed or failed. <laughs> you failed, right? <laughs> terribly. <laughs> That's terribly. funny. And that whole day, I just kept like trying to come up with what's going to be my first verse. I wasn't thinking of no chorus. I wasn't thinking of nothing. <laughs> I was thinking of my first verse. And by the time I was on the bus going back home, I had my first verse. Okay. And, I st and from that point on, I started writing. That was in the 80s. That had to yeah. be in the 80s. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Late 80s, early 90s. Okay, mm -hmm. so that might have mm -hmm. been like the tail end of it during that time. Well, yeah, see, well, see, the thing about it is, it's like growing up in Cincinnati, it's real. It's it's real funny because the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacy that was an everyday thing. Okay. I mean, I stayed maybe 
two miles from the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, wow. Yeah, when we, uh, it's like I stayed up on top of the hill and they stayed down in the valley, down in. And so when we would go, I, I remember going trick-or-treating. We knew that we couldn't go past a certain point okay. because we knew where we were entering. We were entering KKK territory. Mm-hmm. So living amongst KKK life, was you pretty much grew up in that kind of environment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It became the oh, yeah. norm for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you learned how to the, the well the ones that our parents understood. You know, you know, our parents they, they told us a lot of stupid and a lot of ignorant things only because they didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, they went the, the, them experiences this type of hate, this 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 amount of, of restraint this this amount of just 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 trying to feel like they or made to feel like they were nothing. They, this was the first time ever experiencing something like this, and so a lot of things that they taught us, it, it don't make sense to the people now, but it made sense back then because mm-hmm. one thing as a parent you have to do is you have to explain to your kids what you want and how life is supposed to be. But you also have to teach them how to maneuver around what life is right then and that point. Right, yeah. And so, um, like I said, living amongst the KKK, like I said, I went to school with their kids. Mm -hmm. My father worked at General Motors with them because General Motors was one of the biggest manufacturing companies in Cincinnati. That's probably one of General Motors and um, UC. Uh, the school, those are probably the only reasons why Cincinnati even exists. Wow. Because of those two industries that they had mm-hmm. that was steady pumping up the economy. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, we, 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 we intermingled with each other on so many different levels, but at the same time, there were understood geographical places that we didn't go to at the same time, like okay. certain grocery stores. Mm-hmm. And this is, you're talking about in the 80s. It's the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. You know, okay. this this is, this is, this is, yeah, because I'm, I'm born in 77. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is, this is late 70s, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this, this separation, this, 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 uh, 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 just disrespect for each other and, 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 and the whole white supremacy, neo-Nazi, Nazi, Hitler, all this stuff is still going on, prevalent. In Cincinnati. Right in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati isn't even south. It's north of the Mason-Dixon line, but it's right above the Mason-Dixon line because it's right off, right between, the only thing that separates the south and Cincinnati is the Ohio River because Mm. right there is Kentucky. Wow. Right beneath the Ohio River is Kentucky. And you and there were times like I said, even then, like back in the early, like late seventies, early eighties, we didn't even go to Kentucky. Mm-mm. Wow. We didn't even go in no Kentucky. No. Nope. Wow. We weren't even going to Kentucky. It that didn't happen until maybe 15, 20 years later when we just really started going over wow. there because, you know, of the segregation and, and, and a lot of the things that was going on. Now you're in school, did you ever have that experience to where you know, someone tried you because of your skin color. Man, listen. I fought with this one white dude, Michael Turner, every day, once a week. What? Yes. Yes. I fought this one white dude once a week, Mike Turner. Michael Turner. I will <laughs> never forget his name. He determined. Never forget his name. Mm-hmm. Because it always started off with 
him, me and him. I don't know what the odd was, but as soon as nigger came out of his mouth, mm-hmm. we was going to blows. Right. Because I was brought up in the house where my dad didn't, he didn't play that. He didn't accept that. He didn't, he didn't give nobody no reason to do nothing to us. So if you do something to me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing nothing but defending myself at this point. Right. You know what I'm saying? And... As I got older, I realized that, you know, I couldn't let words, you know, move me into doing, you know what I'm saying, those things. Because, see, his hate is what I didn't like, but it provoked me to to make a hateful act. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, yeah, it does. But but I I, I didn't understand it at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was actually my principal, who Mm -hmm. was a white guy who kind of intervened, talked to me, and that was like one of my first turnabouts to understanding that, wait a minute, this ain't a colored thing, man. Mm-hmm. This ain't a colored thing. I start to realize that it's going to be evil and it's going to be good people in my life. And the quicker I can make that determination with with nothing in front of it being it color, being it title, being it something somebody told me, I would be better off as a human being because that's really what it's all. Wow. So wait, so you started rapping first before you did the reggae? Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. I definitely okay, started rapping okay. first because like I said, that's when that's what I was around. I didn't hear much reggae at this point. So I didn't really even know um too much about reggae. Okay, so right around this time, how old were you when you wrote your first rap? Or not even your first rap, you've been writing. Mm-hmm. And you went to your sister and said, mm-hmm. finally, you wanted her to hear. Yeah, I wanted her to hear because, like I said, you know, I was real about my African. I was, I mean, I was the type that was draped in the African medallions. Oh, okay, okay. I had on the, the used pants with the with the crazy hair and the, you know, <laughs> and the big double goose, triple fat goose coats on, you know, but okay. I, I was rocking my Africa. I had I had my little African cane okay. and all that. He was influenced so, by... Right. I know. just, like I said, I felt that that was necessary. Me knowing who I was and where I came from and, you know, about who, you know, just, 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 you know, what, what is, what was, what was I, what was I, what was I meant for? What was the purpose, you right. know? So, you know, I brought one of my first little raps to my sister and I rapped. She was like, yeah, that's nice. She was like, but you know what? I want you to do something. Now, right around this time, she had started messing. Well, she she, she was with this guy for a while. And about this time, for some reason, and, and, and I think it had a lot to do with Cincinnati being as racist as it was and as mean as it was. Because, you know, whenever there's a great abundance of one thing, something else always begin to develop. So right around this time, about, I'm going to say about mid-80s, late-80s, Rastafari. I don't know where he came from. I don't know what Jamaican came around, but Rastafari <laughs> came through and it spread it like a wildfire. Okay. I mean, we had a club called the Wild Hair where we was down in the basement listening to, listening to old reggae tunes with the Frankenstein and myrrh burning on the coals, on the hot coals. I mean, Rasta all, I mean, Rasta Debo. I mean, they're everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they, they picking up little corner stores where you can go in there and buy, buy your, your frankincense myrrh, all your incense, all your Rasta clothes, your Rasta apparel, and um, that was going on. I, I say about maybe four, maybe maybe four or five years, and my sister started dating this Rasta, 
And so when she heard me and she seen that I was like into Africa and into my roots and stuff, she said, well, you know, it's, it was said that our grandfather, my, my dad's father, Noah, is from the Clarendon Parish. And I'm like, Clarendon Parish? Where is that at? And they, and they, they used to say Gully Side. I heard them say Gully Side, uh, uh, um, some mountain. I can't remember what, but, you know, that, like I said, uh, that, that's where he was apparently from. But um, we didn't, I didn't really get a chance to talk to my father's father because, you know, the dynamics of family and this, that, and the other. He left my father when they were little, and so I really, I really never got that clarified. But mm-hmm. because my sister, who, like I said, was this, 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 this big, you know, thing in my life, said, "This is what I want you to look into." I started listening to the reggae. So her boyfriend was Rasta, so he started bringing in a lot of reggae for me. Um, listening to early stuff, early Rasta tunes. Me don't want a big mock. Um, I can't remember who it was, man, but I just remember then. um, And so I started, so after I started listening to tunes, after I started listening to Shaba, after I started listening to uh, uh, Admiral Bailey, after I started listening to Bujuban, Tamburuban, by this time I was, I was, I was stuck. Dance hall was what I was doing. I didn't care about nothing else. I, I, I mean, I kind of like went on almost a pilgrimage where all <laughs> I listened to was reggae. I wasn't listening to no hip hop. I wasn't listening to no nothing. If it wasn't Barry's Hammond, if it wasn't Barrington Levy, oh, if it Lord, wasn't, like I said, it, right, it, it, if it wasn't these cats singing it, if it wasn't Capleton, if it wasn't, you know, and they came a little bit later, but if it wasn't for these cats, mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to it. Like I said, we had our, 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 our reggae spots to go through because, you know, after the Rasta religion mm-hmm. came in, its origin began to come in as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what brings Jamaica in, mm-hmm. you know. So now, you know, not only are we in tune with Rasta, now we in tune with Jamaica right. and Jamaicans right. that's come over, that was living in Cincinnati. We had no idea.
enjoyed my interview with Ricky Brookshot, aka Foreign. Now we will discuss colorism. Colorism is also known as shadism. It is a form of prejudice or discrimination in which people are treated differently because of social meanings attached to the color of their skin. For example, in different cultures and countries around the world, skin color plays a huge role in the perception of beauty. Lighter-skinned females is often made to feel superior to darker-skinned females. So we will check out this new song called Black Hypocrisy by Spice, a new reggae artist, as she addressed this issue of colorism. It's not what you expect me to say But I'ma go ahead and say it anyway Cause I was told I would reach further If the color of my skin was lighter And I was made to feel inferior Society say brown girls prettier I love the way my look, my love me pretty black skin Respect you to me strong melanin Proud of me color, love the skin that I'm in Born racism, demolish colorism But the things when me go say you might not even love me back I get hate from my own race, yes that's a fact Cause the same black people, them say I'm too black And if you bleach out your skin, them same one come a chat Well, since you say that so black for you, I please you. Do I look how you want me to? Now I'm gonna see if you're gonna say I'm too black for you. Or do I look pretty to you? Black people, hypocrisy. Leave the girls, them with low self esteem. Who no go on like say you are for brown, for pretty. The whole of them dirty iniquity. This a black people, hypocrisy. Leave the girls, them with low self esteem. I'm black and You see, as a dark-skinned female, I can relate very much to this song. I've had my fair shares of discrimination due to the tone of my skin. Yet somehow, over the years, I've learned how to love my high cheekbones and coiled hair. I've learned how to love the skin I'm in. And obviously, despite all the critics, so do Spice. I don't need your, your beauty standards to get in Finally, if you want to make a difference in your community, I have 
Three simple ways. Love, respect, and take action. Treat everyone with love. And even though you might have differences and lack of understanding, try to respect each other's differences. And when you see social injustices within your community, don't be afraid to take action. And you can do so by speaking out. Let your voice be heard. just tuned in to Mocha Speaks.